Good morning to all of you. As, as Brother Masi have said, we want to continue in the book of Malachi. I want to begin first with just an introduction uh, to this portion of scripture we'll be dealing with. And I know it's kind of broken up uh, with the distances between the messages here. And I just want to talk a little bit about... Um, what has happened. And so um, in Malachi's day, the people of Israel had become cold. Uh, Instead of being a faithful people to God, they became a depressed people who had begun to doubt God's love and dishonor his name. It was their duty to continue obeying the word of God, but oftentimes after being blessed by God, they fell into sin. They should have preserved trusting in God until he gave them further instructions. Nonetheless, their faith was growing weak. Somebody today may be feeling that way. Feeling like your faith is growing Weak. This is the mood of the Israelites at this time. So the question is I have for you, have you ever found it hard to trust God? Did it seem like he was taking a long time to address your concerns? Or do you sometimes feel like he's forgotten all about you? Well, you're not alone. As I said, this is the way that the Israelites felt as well. It was getting more and more difficult for them to rightly worship and honor God. It was finding it hard to stay engaged. Depression was setting in and they found it hard to wait patiently for the word of God even after God's people had been in bondage by the surrounding nations, generation after generation, while experiencing God's deliverance, they continued struggling with remembering their obligation to obey the commands of God. Despite their disobedience, God loved his people. He always had, and he will forever love his people. And so we are able to see this this picture here in uh, the first couple of verses, one through five. We saw this idea of love and how God loves his people despite their disobedience. Though God cared for his people and loved them, uh, they continued to struggle with Depression and depression led to discouragement and discouragement led to despair. Might as well say the people of God had landed into a place of hopelessness. And so they started seeing worship as a burden. Do we have to go We go every Sunday. We always worship. 
Do we have to go again? That's how it would sound today. If we found ourselves in a depressed state, we, we can feel the activities that brings honor and glory to God to become weighty and heavy on us. And so, instead of this thing of worship being a blessing, instead it became a burden. It led them to questioning God's love and dishonoring his name. This is where we will pick up. And so if you would, turn with me to Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in ver- at verse 6, and we're going to read through to verse 14. Malachi chapter 1. Verse 6, before we go and dig into the word of God, let us begin with a word of prayer and ask God's blessing. Our Father and our God, we've come to a place where we want to continue in our worshiping of you and honoring you and making your name to be grand and great because you are a good and great God. And Lord, we just pray that you would be honored. Be honored, Lord God, as your word is preached and proclaimed. Let us not focus on anything that is apart from your word, but help us to engage with your word Help us to listen to see what you are saying to us. And Lord, help the unbelieving one that you might draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would increase as I decrease. May your word go forth powerfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Hear now the word of God. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were 
one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place. Incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit that it's. That is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Curse be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemish. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Amen. The title I'm using for uh, this sermon is Dishonoring the name of God. In the book of Malachi, the prophet gave the first declaration against the people about how Israel was blind to God's love. How much proof did the Israelites need? They were told about the Red Sea, the waters standing tall, allowing them to walk over on dry ground. They were familiar with being saved from the nations around them. What what else did the Israelites need? But you know what? Truth be told, they're just like us. Of all of the blessings that we've seen, of all of the things that God have brought us out of, we too, like Israel, can sometimes allow our faith to waver and to become weak. And we can find ourselves straining in the process. God had chosen them from among all the other nations. Wasn't that proof enough? He provided for them. He led them. He protected them. He helped them. These were God's special people. However, they often failed at keeping God's command. Nevertheless, God kept his word and he loved them. In the text, we see that the prophet declares the second indictment against the the Israel's priests because of their irreverent acts of worship. As you can see, the people in Malachi's day faced some difficult moments in their lives that led them to doubt the love of God. Have you doubted God's love lately? 
What circumstances in your life you have allowed to allow yourself to wonder whether or not God really loves you? Satan wants us to believe that our circumstances dictate whether or not God truly loves us. But here's some encouragement. If you ever find yourself doubting the love of God, just remember the cross. The cross of Christ. That's the place where God demonstrated his love. He went to a cross for an undeserving people so that they might be able to be to, they might be able to come to him and know him personally as lord and savior they became his people and therefore they must continue to live as his people through the means of grace that god has provided In the next couple of verses, we're about to see why the leaders and the people had no respect for the name of God. Beginning at verse 6, the text says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If God's love is like that of a father to a child, how much more should the child honor the father? God had already proven his fatherly love for Israel, but Israel had not proven her love for God. Instead, Israel became cold and neglectful and disinterested in God and the things of God. The question that seems to rise out of the pages is why? Why would Israel honor God in the first place? Why should Israel honor God? What is honor? The word honor means to behave with dignity. It means to to glorify, to make much of. It means to reward with great respect. These are the proper responses Israel should have shown in respect to God. He deserves honor as a son honors his father and a servant his master. This paragraph builds upon the foundation of what's to be expected of what a father deserves. In other words, as a son honors his father, God expects honor out of a loving relationship filled with gratitude and genuine affection. In other words, the love must be real. It must be built upon a real and genuine foundation. Sons ought to have a genuine love for their fathers and they ought to aspire to do things that honors them. Even when fathers don't deserve to be respected or loved by their sons, they still deserve honor. We see this principle in Exodus 20 verse 12 when Moses commands the people, honor 
your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is given you. In other words, honor your father or your mother lest you die. In other words, honor was serious business. Honor was something that could not be handled lightly. The Lord was was serious about how children ought to obey their parents. If earthly sons ought to give honor to their earthly father, who may not be worthy of that honor, how much more should the people of God honor him? The greatest father who ever lived, whoever was, whoever is. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 reminds us of this fact. There in the text it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We're we're reminded of God's faithfulness when we sing that wonderful hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercy. I see all I have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness Lord unto thee the Lord of God the love of God is obvious and this should lead all men to have a genuine respect for God unfortunately the priests Responded to God's love with a negative response, a disrespectful response, which in turn, God asked the question, where is my honor? Where, where, where is my honor? Where is the respect that I deserve? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Where is my reverence? Honoring God has to do with giving him the reverence and the respect he deserves. God is worthy of honor. We are obligated to honor God in every way. One of the ways we honor God is through worship. After King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God for his pride, he worshiped the Lord. In Daniel 4, 34 and 37, there in the text he states, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then in verse 37, he says, now I, 
Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble them. We also worship God by living a holy life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8, the text says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. After showing the connection between the Father and the son relationship and the honor that is due to the father. The Lord continues to show how there's honor between a servant and a master. God illustrates this. Not only is he worthy of honor through a loving relationship that is built upon affection, but rather they, they ought to honor God Because he's worthy of honor through obligation. For they were called to be his people. They were called to be the people of God. And they were called to serve him. After the priest heard the indictments against them, you think they'd respond in humble agreement with God. Lord, you know, I've been been thinking about what you said. And you know what? You're right. We have been living a life that's been displeasing to you. We've been dishonorable to you. We have not been keeping our word and we have neglected our responsibility. In fact, we complain all the time about all that you have done. And they have been a blessing to us. You can kind of feel that in in the text. These priests complain to God. Rather than agreeing with God, they refuse to take responsibility. And then they chose to debate with God as if they could win. The text says, and if if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, O priests? Who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? It's obvious that these priests are self-deceived and they can't see their way. The text in 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We see this with the priests. Also, according to Jeremiah 17:9 and 10, the text says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. These priests are not willing to face up to their sins. Though they were not willing to admit that they have a problem, we can still learn from them. How can we apply what we've learned from the text in our day, in our lives? We're the children of God. 
and we are the servants of God, as it were in past generations. And we must learn to confess our sin immediately and live holy lives before God and honor his name. Is it possible that the Lord may be asking us in this generation the same question addressed in Luke 6, verse 46, where the Lord says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Something we should all consider as we attempt to honor God in all that we do to bring glory to his name. We're to check why we do what we do. What, what's the reason behind our actions? What's the foundation we're building upon? Now, now that we know that the priest dishonored and despised the name of God by failing to honor and give reverence to the Lord of hosts, According to verse 6, verses 7 and 8 gives us the reason why they were bringing disgrace to God's name. During the time of, of worship, Israel's priests were careless with their offerings and they despised the Lord's name by offering up polluted and unacceptable sacrifices. According to the Westminster Larger catechism, one of the forbidden sins in the second commandment is corrupting the worship of God. In verse 7, we see the priests were offering God polluted food. Something that was polluted meant that it was, it was defiled. It was either unclean by ritual or by moral. To get a better picture of this, Let's read our text again. The Lord states to his priests, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By offering that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Yes. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Yes. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you? No. Or show you favor? No. These are the rhetorical questions. The answer is already built in, right? The priests brought in the food that was defiled and unclean as an offering to God. In contrast to what they offered, it was their responsibility to bring in the best offering they could find. Instead, they gave God the poorest and most defective animals as an offering to be sacrificed. You can consider it as being the leftovers whom nobody wanted. This was the type of offerings the, the priests would bring before God to give an offering to him. 
Listen to, before we turn to Deuteronomy uh, 15, I just want to say that these animals were going to die anyway. And it's as if they said, we we might as not waste them. These animals were on their last breath, if you would. They were bruised. Listen to the clear command in Deuteronomy 15, 21 in reference to sacrifices. The text says, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatsoever, you should not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. This is a clear cut command. But you see the priests were offering up to God Something totally different. This is why Israel's worship became polluted and unacceptable. They offered God that which was unlawful. We know this to be true because of what's stated in verse 8. In verse 8, the Lord makes it plain by illustrating to them why. There he says to the priests, When you have offered blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? He's painting a picture for them. And you can can see nodding their heads. They should be nodding their heads. And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Then the Lord breaks it down by saying, present that to your governor. Will he accept you? You know he won't. Will you have favor, says the Lord of hosts? Of course not. Never. Now, no one in their right mind would give diseased animals to a political figure to pay for something that that represented themselves. But people do that today. They offer to God or to his work things they never give to those who are authority figures. Yet the priest decided to try this with the sovereign ruler of all all who knows all things. And they presented it as if they could get by. And so here the priest decided to try to give, get over on God, the people tried to make all kinds of excuses as to why they can't worship the Lord of hosts. And sometimes these excuses are, are petty. People try to excuse themselves of their obligations to worship in whatever way they can. But isn't it strange that, strange that these same individuals would not use these excuse, excuses for their earthly superiors? They would never use it for their employer, for work. That there's a certain respect, there's a, a certain honor, you see? So we see that even going on today. People were put in place for worship, the things that they desire rather than what they ought to be offering to God. Sometimes that praise may be in a football game for your favorite team. Misworship the one who created you, the all-loving God. 
you exchange that for adoration unto man. And this is the, these are the places where we as believers have to be careful that we are not giving what belongs to God to man and to the world. And that's worship, that's reverence, that's honor, that's adoration. We are to glorify our God. We are to see him as precious. And the question becomes, when you were on your way coming today, did it feel like you were about to go to a gold mine, a diamond mine, where you're going to find these precious metals and these precious jewels, and you can't wait to get here because there you will find the treasure that you've been looking for all the while? Or is it a burden? We got to come again. What time are we getting out? How long are we going to be here? You went over a little bit. (laughs) Amen. But the point is, is that we ought to have some expectation as we come to worship the true and the living God. Our expectations ought to be high. We ought to be intending to honor him and to offer him praise and glory and honor. What's on your mind when you come? These are the things we have to check. Throw out of the window as we are traveling on the highways. Throw it out. All of these feelings that won't honor God. Whatever that may be, we want to come focused and engaged that we might worship the one and only God. And so we see that these priests were not offer to God what they ought to offer him. And sometimes we can get petty just like the priests and offer or make excuses for why we are not to hold our obligations for worship. But we're to do it in whatever way we can. And the question we must ask ourselves is do we prepare for worship? Do we come to glorify him, focus on his word? Are we valuing the preaching of God's word as the great significance for our spiritual growth? Have we become like the priests, bored and uninterested in the things of God? Have we lost the beauty and the splendor of the cross of Christ? Have we placed ourselves under the condemnation by the Lord Jesus who The Lord Jesus in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, when he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands, commandments of men. These are some things for us to consider. What changes will we make in serving God? What changes 
What you make, is God's name precious to you? Could you possibly be dishonoring God's name? Using God's name as a curse word. Could you allow that to come out of your mouth? Or could you laugh at the jokes that people make that dishonors the name of God? These are things we want to consider What are some of the ways you like to show honor to the name of God? How intentional are you being to honor the name of God? Or are you ashamed to say that name? What changes will you make in serving God? Sometimes it's hard to think about these things, but we must, if we want to continue growing in faith, we want to have strong faith that we might enjoy all the blessings God has in store for his people. We want God's peace, God's joy, and God's comfort. Let's not be robbed. Let's not be robbed. And let's not rob ourselves of God's grace. One theologian states it like this. Saving grace is a realm of God into which people may enter by faith, in which they may abide and experience all the blessings brought by God to them. And we have these encouraging words Along that same line from Romans 5, there it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produce endurance and endurance produce character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Because of the sinful actions of the priests, Malachi pleaded with them and the people to seek the grace of God with all of their hearts. In verse 9, the prophet says, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. Why should the people seek the grace of God? They ought to seek the grace of God because they sinned against God by offering up unclean and defected animals for a sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. They must turn, they must repent of their sins, and they ought to seek God's favor because our God is the most gracious God. 
Our God is kind and loving and merciful. The prophet continues describing the Lord's rebuke because of Israel's neglect and indifference towards God's name. He states, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? This shows that there are consequences for our actions when we sin against God. In this case, it is unanswered prayer. He encourages them to look to the Lord, but because they won't repent, because they won't turn to God, their prayers wouldn't even make it to God. We must confess sin. We must repent of it. As sinners, we hate to be told what to do. And we hate it more when our success is dependent upon our behavior and how we live our lives. However, we cannot ignore what is clearly taught in Scripture. Listen to these passages of Scripture. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You see the value in repenting of sin, confessing sin, turning from sin and turning to God is because we want to engage with God. We want to be able to hear from God and for God not to ignore our prayers. Proverbs 15, 29 says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 28, 9 says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers is an abomination to the Lord. One theologian to describe all of this, it says, if we don't want our prayers hindered, we must repent of sin and keep the lines of communication open and honor his name. And that's what we're doing when we confess sin. We're keeping the lines of communication open. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that we won't fall into sin. But we shouldn't like it. We shouldn't have fun with it. We shouldn't enjoy it. And that's the point that the text is making, is that we must continue in confessing sin and repenting of those sins that we might honor and glorify our God. According to verse 10, the Lord of hosts has no pleasure in accepting any of Israel's offerings. Therefore, he rejects it. We see this in verse 10. There he says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on the altar. And it's as if God says, tear the temple down, right? Why should it be open? If, you, if, if, if you're going to be offering sacrifices that is unacceptable to God, why even be here? This is the point of verse 10. Shut the doors that you might not sin against God. 
Why? Because he says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not accept an offering from your hand. God only accepts worship that is according to his word. John 4.24, we're all familiar with it. It was quoted earlier. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Ellsworth says this about how we must worship God. To worship him in truth is to do so according to what he himself has revealed. It is to worship according to the truth of his word. We are not to include anything in worship that is not clearly sanctioned or warranted by the word of God. No matter how it attracts crowds and pleases people, the money changers whom Jesus drove from the temple undoubtedly have argued that their innovation was popular. But it did not please him because it did not correspond to God's revealed truth. Worship from the heart and according to the book, the Bible. That is the kind of worship that pleases God. We're not left to define worship for ourselves. The Lord Jesus has defined it for us, unquote. In other words, we have our marching orders and it comes from the book. And we must worship him in that way. We must worship God on his terms. The Lord of hosts assures Israel that his name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, God have declared that his name will remain great in the nations, amongst the nations. That's the point in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and pure offering for my name will be great among the nation, says the Lord of hosts. You can hear that these prophetic utterances of Malachi, the Lord intended to come to save his people. And he come, he've come to save his people through a message, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ came to bring salvation and he did so by way of a cross. He came so that all of the obstacles that prevent sinners from coming to him to be saved, they can be done away with and death and, and dealt with once and for all. There would be no more need of works. For the work was already done when Christ came, lived a perfect and holy and righteous life before God. And then he will go to a cross to die for sin once and for all. And he would get up from a grave, signing his name. All power have been given unto me. On earth and in heaven, all power over death and the grave. And he says, whoever has faith in me, come on. We are pilgrims here. We must live our, our lives as, as pilgrims and remember that we are children of the king. By way of a cross. It's through the gospel that the Lord 
made his name great. Continuing on in verse 12, the text says, but you profane it with your when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is the food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You, <clears throat> excuse me, you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord of hosts? It's kind of like a reminder to us of how we ought to be preparing ourselves before Sunday. Are we preparing ourselves in the sense that we are um, reading God's word, we're in prayer, we're, we're expecting, we're, we're wanting to hear from God? Are, are, are there any preparations before we come and, and worship here together? The, these are the questions that we want to answer. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, certain things will happen in life that will, prevent, that will prevent you from being able to do these things, but the question is, is do we prepare? Are we intentional? Do we even want to? This is something to consider. The Lord would not accept offerings that are unsuitable for worship because it profanes his name. The word profane comes from the Hebrew word, which means to stab and to wound. And so God is saying that when, when, when we're not coming right to be able to worship him. It's as if we are wounding and stabbing the name of God. If his name becomes irreverent to us, it doesn't have any meaning. It becomes dishonorable. It doesn't mean anything. Do like you always do. What makes it different from what you do every day and how you worship the Lord? You see, it all ought to be for the glory of God. That's the point. That's the goal. Christ. All for the glory of God. That means work. That means when I play with my children, it means that when I speak with my wife or whatever it is, we have to ask ourselves, am I glorifying God? Am I honoring the name? Or am I bringing shame to the name? Because there are some who doesn't represent the name. And sometimes we've done that. And so these are things we need to ponder. We need to make sure that we love in the way God called us to love. Love our neighbors. Love those who despitefully use you for his name's sake. Love our enemies. It's a high calling. And that's why we need God's help. Finishing up, with the wrong attitudes, they complained about having worship. They were disrespectful, disgruntled, and dissatisfied because of their obligations. It's something we must ask ourselves. Is this really hard for me? Am I dissatisfied? Am I disgruntled? Have I been disrespectful? Lastly, the Lord closes with this to these priests. And this will continue in the next chapter. But he closed with this to the priests. Curse 
be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. If he says Yahweh is king, his name will be remembered. His name will be known. His name will be feared among the nations. And we must never forget the name in which we come removes fear. When we have God on our side, who is there for us to fear? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we have trials, we must remember the name. Yahweh is king. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide. He will make a way. Whatever is on your heart, remember whose you are. You are God's child. And he loves you. Whoever tries to offer up unacceptable sacrifice to the great king, will be cursed. That's the condemnation that follows. So, it's a reminder to us that if we're not in Christ, that condemnation shall fall on us. Christ is your only hope. Place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tomorrow is not promised. Hope in Christ. Trust in him and be saved. Not on your own works, but solely on the basis of what he has done. That's the beauty of the Angelion, the gospel. It's good news. You didn't earn it. He says, show up and receive it. Receive it by faith. Place faith in Christ. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for your word. May your word as it is be efficacious, penetrating our hearts and our minds, being effective in our lives, that we might be a changed people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.